Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Sony Music Presents Time to Talk. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and our very special guest this week is country music star Adam Harvey. Adam has a brand new album out at the moment called Songs from Highway One. Adam's a great raconteur, and uh, we talk about his um, writing process. We talk about his collaborations with the likes of Lee Kernigan, Graham Connors, Colin Buchanan, and even the late Slim Dusty, who makes an appearance on the album. He also lets us know that his wife can't wait to get him out of the house and back on the road. So please join me today for a very special chat with our guest, Adam Harvey. Here he is. Hey, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it, mate. I've been listening to yours, actually. I enjoyed listening to the one with Kevin Bloody Wilson the other day. <laughs> he's a yes, funny he's guy. A, he's a very funny man. We're, uh, we're actually really good mates, Kevin and I. We go back a long way, but uh, a very intelligent man too and uh, a huge country music fan. Oh, look, he's one of those guys. He was one of the first people I ever interviewed about 30 years ago, and to this day I still quote lines from the interview to people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he often, he'll often ring up and uh, try and road test a new song or something that he's writing or ring up my wife just to stir her up. He's, uh, it's just so funny. <laughs> hey, listen, congratulations on the new record. Oh, thanks, mate. Thank you. Yes, timing's everything. Um, you know, record an album about uh, travelling all over Australia and then that's the one thing we're, we're not allowed to do. Well, the interesting thing is, mate, you've uh, produced this record yourself. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, I've had, um, you know, all sorts of different producers over the years and um, I just sort of thought, uh, you know, why don't I have a crack at it myself and, you know, it's, it's another challenge and uh, a whole lot more work than I actually expected, um, you know, instead of just walking in and singing my vocals and then coming back and listening to the mixes, um, you know, when you're there from day one, there's yeah. Uh, yeah, quite a lot of work, but I learnt a hell of a lot too. So... Were you making demos for the band to hear before you went in or you just went in with an acoustic guitar and played songs for them? Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the things that I've learned over the years um, is no one, no one can th- hear what you're thinking in your head. And so in order to make it very easy for the band, and it makes it a lot faster, um, is to have a really good demo so that you can play them and say, this is what I want. And they get a very clear picture, and uh, that way the recording process just goes so much quicker. And you know, you're guaranteed as an artist to get exactly what you want out of each song. Yeah, it's interesting, sort of mix, because you obviously love collaboration. You've done a lot over the years with people, everybody from Guy Sebastian to John Williamson, Troy, obviously Becky Cole. Um, there's a mix of collaborations on here, and then original songs you've written yourself and covers so i wonder if i could maybe throw some of the tracks at you and get your thoughts on them the opening uh, gambit with highway number one i mean if you're gonna make a record you want to have a great title for the album right that's that's a great title <laughs> oh thanks now you wrote that with graham connors yeah that's correct i uh, i actually went up to uh, Mackay um, to write a song with Graham Connors about my dad, who uh, spent a lot of time in Mackay, and it was still till the day he died, he always said it was his favourite place. And so I went up there to write that particular song with Graham Connors um, called Lindemann again, and uh, and we we wrote that song. And then spur of the moment thing, um, Graham said, "Oh, what's what's the album about? What's it going to be called?" And I said, "Well, I want to call it 
songs from Highway 1, but I, I still haven't written the title track, Highway Number 1, and sort of told him how I had this vision after watching a, a show on caravan and camping and the huge explosion in, in sales um, over the last few years of caravans, camper vans, and not only mm-hmm. sort of retired people, but also uh, young families that have decided to take their kids out of school and travel around Australia and homeschool their kids. So I just got the whole idea for this song. And when I explained that to Graham, uh, you know, we wrote that song together in uh, what seemed like about half an hour. It's kind of the Leyland brothers all over again, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. I don't know. I don't know if I'm Mike or Mel, but uh, yeah, so, something like that. And then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the plan was to release that album in um, in June and then start the tour uh, that was, you know, halfway through this year. And of course, by the end of March, we were in total lockdown. And I had yeah. this album about, you know, travelling all over the country. And as I said, that's the one thing that no one was allowed to do. So it was kind of ironic. They say timing is everything. You mentioned that second song you wrote with Graham Linderman again that's one of my favorite tracks on the record and I love the opening line Les um I've got my glasses on here Les oh, would right. Les was it yeah. Les would say the 60s were the golden years yeah, which is it's... you know it took me way back to being a kid and going up there and, and it really was uh I don't know there's something very Australian and unique about that part of the world that feels very untouched in a way mm, did yeah, your dad even... work up there for a while he did, actually. Dad uh, worked up there on a boat called the Elizabeth E, um, and uh, he worked uh, oh, for, for a little while travelling around the islands and taking tourists out to all the islands and the Barrier Reef, and, and it was his favourite place in the world. And uh, I've always wanted to write the song, and I think for me it's probably uh, personally one of the most... Um, just special songs because it, you know it's all about dad and it was very sentimental when we wrote it but um, I just thought who better to write it with than than Graham Connors not only does he live up there he's like the unofficial mayor of Mackay and yeah. he knows he knows the boat and he knows that the original skippers of the boat Johnny and Bobby and so he he arranged for us to actually go out on the Elizabeth oh. E and spend time with Johnny and Bobby and they bought all these old photo albums and all these shots of dad in his heyday and when oh. they were working on the boats and so it was really special mate that must have been pretty emotional for you to be on the boat had you been on it before no i hadn't and uh it was just just beautiful to do that um but uh, it was it was a tough song to write um because I, I was very emotional but um i'm so glad with the way it came out and uh and even graham himself says uh he said to me a few times that's one of the, his favorite songs that he's ever written oh wow he's written some mm. good ones too as have you yes yeah, I oh, know, but uh, he's he's a very talented man. He's, he's wonderful to work with him. And that's the story of your mum in there as well? Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, mum, mum met Dad up there on Lindemann Island and she used to run the hairdressing salon. It was just a grass hut back then. And uh, there's so much uh, history and, and we've got such a great connection with, with Lindemann Island and Mackay and, and the Whitsundays. So it was lovely. In a way, it felt like I was... Um, uh, I was I was writing down their history. I was you know it was sort of a bit of a memoir, and it's uh, yeah something that I'll I'll treasure. And I know Mum loves it, and I'm sure Dad would love it too. Yeah, it it looks like you've got a lot of your um, autobiography in the record. Uh, when I sort of fast forward to sixteen summers, and you've got that line: "No more ice cream dripping on the floor." Um, <laughs> I'm still at the stage of ice cream on the floor, but I, I, I get what you're saying. This is about your own kids growing up. Yeah, it is, and uh, it's once again, it's a, a, a true story. Um, and you, 
Yeah, you d- and a mate of mine said, used to say to me a lot, a mate of mine from Sony Music, he used to say to me, mate, you make the most of that time because you only get 16 summers. And um, and I, I said to him, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, mate, you've got those kids for 16 years, they turn 17, they get their licence, and then choom, they're gone. And there's no more road trips with mum and dad. And uh, so he said, make the most of that time. And it's, it's very true because it, on one hand, my wife and I now have this great freedom, um, you know, where we can take off and do what we want. The kids are 18 and 19, but but often you do sort of reminisce when you when you're driving along and and you think, yeah, they were they were great old days, and you know you you miss it sometimes. Well, ho- hopefully you'll get your revenge when you're the one dripping ice cream on the floor when you get older. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be long, and <laughs> I'm in nappies. <laughs> Bring it, bring it full circle. How's the golf going during COVID? Mate, it's been fantastic. Um, it's certainly improved, uh, that's for sure. Um, there's a bunch of uh, musicians up on the central coast of New South Wales where I live, and uh, we were all going stir-crazy, and uh, and one of the boys suggested, well, why don't we all start playing golf every week? And uh, now it's we're actually getting very competitive now. It's very serious. Yeah, but, right. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the golf's fantastic, and the fishing's starting to get really good too. Well, we're talking about um, uh, you know collaborating people and hanging out with musicians. Rambling Fever, you, you decided to cover a Merle song for the record. Yeah, that that happened by accident. Um, I was with uh, Lee Kernigan backstage on one of the country music cruises, uh, cruise and country, I think they call it, and uh, we just uh, sang together on the on the main stage uh, in the theatre, and we were sitting backstage having a few drinks, and I just got the guitar out and started singing some old songs, and um, and Lee said, "What about Ramblin' Fever?" So we started singing that backstage, and then um, I don't know whether Lee had had one too many shots or something, but he suggested we should go down to one of the late night honky tonks and get up and, and sing that uh, on on stage so we we did that as well and uh, and afterwards he said mate we should record that as a duet and uh, Lee Lee loves Merle Haggard he loves his traditional country music and I just figured Ramblin' Fever it's all about um, the passion for being on the road and and that addiction that you get traveling and and I just thought wow that ties in perfectly with the album so that all happened by accident but uh, it was great fun. What's the appeal of being on the road you've been on the road for a long time yeah, I, I think um, when I first went on tour, um, I think I was about 17 and I was playing bass guitar um, and a, someone said to me, you'll either love this or you'll hate it. And if you hate it, that you'll, you'll never do it again. But if you love it, it it'll get in your blood and, and you, you can't resist it. And, uh, and I just fell in love with being on the road. Chris Christopherson once said that being on the road is the closest thing to being free because you haven't got the hang-ups of every day and paying bills and doing groceries. Yeah. You, every, every, there's something new around every corner and, it, and it's, it's very addictive. It's a real feeling of freedom. And, um, and to be honest, you know, with the lockdown, um, mm. you, you don't realise what you've got until it's gone. And, and then you really yeah. appreciate something when you're not allowed to do it. And, and I've been going stir-crazy, I've got to be honest, because I've been so used to just being on the move all the time at airports, flying, you know, driving on the road. And uh, when it's taken away from you, yeah, it, uh, it, it's a real shock to the system. How are the wife and kids coping with having you around that much? As <laughs> well, yeah, my, my wife's looking forward to me getting on the road more than I am. Uh, she'll be happy. She's got my bags packed in there already, you know, just in case. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of tour dates there. She's been adding more to the list. I mean, you go on the road, there's a lot of shows there. 
Yeah, there's uh, there's a stack of shows, and we're always adding more, um, and, and that's that's going to be lovely. I'm I'm never ever going to take it for granted. Um, I, you know, once we can get back on tour, and it's going to be so much fun to get out and play again, and travel to a different town every night, and catch up with a lot of the people that come to the same shows every time we come to their hometown. You know, we've got very loyal uh, followers, and uh, so it, it'll be really nice to see all the old gang again and spend a bit of time with my road family, with the band, and give my family at home a break. <laughs> you mentioned uh, starting life on the road as a seventeen-year-old playing bass. Were you playing covers? Was that your gig? Yeah, were you was, an original uh, well, band, or what were you doing? I was um, my first touring gig um, was playing bass guitar for a, a female country music singer, um, Karina Cordwell was her name, and and she was doing a, a like a double act with a piano player, and um, and they they were desperate for a bass player um, because their bass player had pulled out at the last minute, and uh, I got a phone call, and Karina said, um, "Listen, I, I heard through the grapevine that you can sight read chart music." And, um, and I used to whinge and whine all the years my old music teacher used to make me read music charts, you know, and learn learn how to read music properly. And, and uh, it was because of that that I landed this gig. And that's that's how I, I got to go out on tour. And uh, because a lot of the country music bass players back then sort of couldn't read charts. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was the first gig. We were doing a, a country thing, playing a lot of covers and, and travelling all over the Australia. And, and as I said, I just fell in love with it. So what was the killer song that got people on the dance floor every night in that cover band? <laughs> oh, mate, now you got me. Jeez, the gambler was always the one. It oh, still yeah. is. It yeah. still is, you know. And and to think um, to think that song was an orphan, you know. No one wanted to touch that song, which it's it's amazing when you do a bit of research into, into some of the greatest country songs of all time. It's amazing how often some of the biggest country hits were passed on. And, and The Gambler was a great example. They, they tried to sell that song to every Tom, Dick and Harry and no one wanted it. And it was uh, purely by chance that Kenny Rogers' producer said, mate, I think we should do this. And Timeless, The Gambler. Oh, yeah, it would have changed Kenny's life really, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's still to this day, when you play that song, young people, old people, kids, people yeah. who don't even like country music, it just, the whole place goes mad. Yeah, you're right, though. It's funny, isn't it? The amount of great songs that have been B-sides or they're in a drawer somewhere or the last song to go on an album, it happens all the time. Yeah, very true. And it's uh, it's quite ironic to think that a lot of times it was just a pure fluke. It was pure luck that these songs ended up getting recorded and then going on to become some of mm -hmm. our favourite country songs ever. You know, you started playing the guitar as a 10-year-old and obviously you said you migrated to cover bands and obviously your own music. How long did it take you to find your voice to become Adam Harvey and know what you wanted to do? Um, it, it takes takes a long time. Well, it did for me, obviously, because I'm pretty dumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, a mate of actually Casey Chambers' dad, uh, Bill Chambers, he's a good mate of mine. And one day we were sitting there, and and he said, "I've known you for a few years," and he said. I can't figure out if you're brave or stupid. <laughs> I said, I said, I haven't figured it out either yet, mate. But, but um, it, it did take a long time uh, because I was heavily influenced by my dad's uh, music. Dad had a really big vinyl record collection and a stack of the old cassette tapes and always played country music. And it was, uh, you know, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, uh, Kenny Rogers, all that. And I was very heavily influenced by that stuff. And so for, for quite a few years, I, I 
didn't write any of my own music. Um, and my argument was, well, George Strait never had to write any of his songs. Um, but as I got a bit older and, you know, finally people sort of drummed it into me, in order to be unique and, and be different from everyone else, you have to be able to tell songs and stories and write these things from your own perspective. And that's what makes you unique. Yes. And, and I think it was John Williamson, actually, one day, uh, I was down at his place and uh, John Williamson said to me, never be frightened to write about something that you think only affects you or something that's only happened to you. Because he said, we all in life, we all go through similar things, whether they're ups and downs, weddings, funerals. And he said, when you write a really personal song from, from you know, deep within that, that's about something that's happened to you or affected you, he said, other people will listen to that. And he said, they'll they'll be able to relate to it and connect with it. And, uh, and I know myself, you know, I've, I've listened to a song and gone, Gee, wow, that could have been written about me. You know, and it's funny yeah. how we do that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as said with Lindemann again, obviously it's your story, it's your family. But when I heard that, it took me back to being a 10-year-old kid and going there for the first time with my own family. <laughs> Isn't that that's, great? That's a wonderful thing about music can transport you. Um, mm. w- w- when you were doing the uh, the covers records, uh, Great Country Songbook, etc., obviously you're a student of the stories behind the songs. Was that like an education for you that affected your own songwriting later? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I really do believe so. And um, I remember as a kid um, listening to Tom T. Hall, uh, he had a song called Old Dogs and Children and Watermelon Wine. And I used to listen to that over and over and over. And, and it was just such a beautiful story. And, and the way the way that Tom T. Hall almost put you in the room, you, it was like you were sitting there watching this thing unfold and, and such a beautiful song. And, and, and that's when I fell in love with songwriting and, and I just thought, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And I still haven't grown up, but that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 is, a, that is a great song, yeah. Well, what's your process when you are writing? Um, when you collaborate, are you turning up with some ideas formed in your head already? Obviously, in the case of Lindemann, you did. What about a song like Bandits on the Run that closes oh, yeah. the album? Um, these days, um, when I was a bit younger, I was sort of a lot, I guess, I was vague about my songs and songwriting, but these days when I turn up to a co-write, I have a really specific um, uh, idea in mind. Um, I'll mm. already usually have a melody, a story, maybe the, the, the main line, the hook line of the song. Um, and, and it's a bit like we mentioned earlier when I go and record with the, with the musicians. You know, uh, they can't hear what you're thinking. And, and the same goes with another co-writer. And uh, you can spend days and days just going around and around and around. But if you you go in there, you're specific. Um, A great example is that song, um, Bandit on the Run. Um, I rang Colin Buchanan and uh, I said, mate, I I need a song, the last song for the the album. And I said, I I want it to be about an older couple and the kids have grown up and left. And I said, I don't want a soppy sort of a love story, but I want this song about this this couple that are footloose and fancy free. They've sold up everything and they're just on the road sort of sharing this wonderful story together. And I said, you know, it's like they're bandits on the run. And I and I told him I had the idea for, you know, they, they chase the setting sun like bandits on the mm-hmm. run. And I said to him, I, I'd really like it to be a bit like a, a Glenn Campbell, gentle on my mind sort of thing with that rolling banjo yeah. feel, you know, and thing. Well, Colin Buchanan sent me a message half an hour later and said, here's your song. Incredible. (laughs) 
just incredible. And uh, t- truly, it was literally half an hour. And and I got back to him and said, "Mate, you've captured that perfectly." So that's that's how talented he is. But um, it just makes it so much easier for for other co-riders when you've got this, you know exactly what you want. Yeah, and, and that's a very uh, fitting song to close your record. It's almost like the end. Of, you can see that song rolling over the credits of a film, can't you? <laughs> hey, that'd be nice. My wife would like the royalties. Could she? <laughs> Shoes and handbags, shoes and handbags. That's what it's all about, she says. <laughs> you know, one of the standouts on the record too is Angel of Goldburn Hill. Um, yeah. John McCain, and features Slim, of course, on there. Mm, how how yeah. did you come to record that? Was that something that uh, – yeah, what was your motivation behind recording that song? Uh, well, I've, I've become great friends with Joy McKean over the years and I've always really loved her songwriting um, and I just thought that that song – would really tie in well with the whole theme about being on the road, um, especially for all the truckies out there. Um, and it's a bit of an iconic song and, uh, you know, also features, uh, you know, Goulburn Hill, uh, which is very famous. Um, and so I, I thought that it fit the album perfectly. And then um, I spoke to Joy about it and she said, yeah, she'd love me to record it. Um, and then uh, I actually rang her again and said, can I really stretch the friendship? I said, it'd be great to have Slim's voice in there um, at the end, just to sort of tip the hat to the king. And uh, and she agreed. So she did say, she said, you realise now that I've let you do this, I'm going to be hounded by every country music singer in Australia wanting to know if they can use Slim's vocal on a song. So she said, I'm only doing this for you just this once. And uh, I was very grateful for that. So that's really, it's a nice touch to have Slim coming at the end of the song. And, and I think it really fits in with it. With the album concept really well it does it's kind of that idea of looking forward looking back isn't it it's like yeah. he's there in the rear view mirror were, yeah. were you tempted to try and do a virtual duet with slim or was that a bridge too far was it always going to be you singing it with, with slim making the cameo at the end yeah i think um the cameo at the end is 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 better that was what i wanted i, I didn't want to try and do with the whole whole duet with with slim right through the whole song um slim's done a lot of great duets with a lot of different country artists and uh you know unfortunately i didn't get to do that so i didn't want to sort of go the whole way and you know <laughs> joy mckeon might have told me to get lost <laughs> <laughs> there's some a uh, lot of great things been written about darwin over the years um don walker's got that great song about darwin with people having Darwin names, I don't know if you've heard that song, and Trent Dalton's new novel set in Darwin, and oh, okay. uh, you know all our shimmering skies, and you've of course got Darwin Nights. How did Darwin Nights come about? Well, uh, we, I love Darwin. I fell in love with the place um, when I first went up there with Becky Cole, and we played up there at the Entertainment Centre. Um, and uh, now we have a tradition where I go back up there every year and there's a group of musos, the same musos, we go back every year, usually around June, July, and, um, and we stay up there for about a week. We do a gig, we go fishing, we you know, get, have a few drinks and have a great old time. And, uh, and we were sitting around one day and I just got the idea um, for, for Darwin Nights because Darwin is a great place, but it's at night when Darwin really comes alive. And, and anyone that's been up there down the main street or out at the markets or, you know, it, it's, it's a real nighttime town. And, um, and I wrote that with a mate of mine who lives up there because um, I, I really wanted to get the local flavour and I wanted to make sure that we had a bit of uh, local knowledge when we were writing the song. Um, because the last thing I wanted was for people up in Darwin to say, this bloke doesn't know what he's talking about. He's never sounds like he's never been to Darwin. So I think having that local knowledge um, just makes the song a bit more uh, genuine. 
yeah, it's got that sort of authentic uh, touch to it, hasn't it? Mm, yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, things like NT time. I didn't, I didn't realise that the locals say that NT stands for not today, not tomorrow. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but ah. stuff like that, stuff like that, sort of helps make it more authentic. Yeah, I didn't know that. So thanks for illuminating mm. us there. Yeah, great. <laughs> so that's, it, that's, the, that's the attitude up there, though. As, as you know, the attitude in Darwin, it's very laid back. You know, yeah. no one's in a hurry and everyone's yeah, pretty, pretty relaxed. It's a very broad canvas you've got here with the record in terms of collaborations, things you've written yourself. It, it's obviously uh, with an album, are you kind of waiting for the germ of an idea to tie the record together before you start making it? Or, or do you collate all the songs together, then the idea presents itself? Because obviously, you know, you wouldn't go so far as say it's a concept record, but there's a concept running through the record. Yeah, I, I tend to, to do that a lot. Um, and as I said earlier, when I, when I watched this TV show about the caravanners and the campervanners travelling Australia, um, I just thought, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole group of people out there travelling around the country wouldn't it be great to try and write a, a, a bunch of songs to, to not only cater for those people when they're on the road, put you know play the play the album while they're out there, but I thought it also might be a great um, great concept for people who have done that in the past. And I thought, and the other thing, we might encourage even more people to bite the bullet, you know, and hit the road and, and see Australia. And so you know, I've featured different places around Australia that I, that I love that I've been to, and and just trying to convey that general idea of um, of how great it is, how great it is travelling around Australia. It's just just amazing, and the freedom, and and yeah. yeah so I, I um, I've been lucky enough to do it for twenty five years, and so who knows, we might be able to encourage a whole stack of other people to do it. But but that's the that's the way it sort of works for me. The the concept. Um, comes first, and then I decide to write a bunch of songs to fit in with that mm. that concept. And in terms of the recording itself, Adam, are you uh, you know recording it over a series of months or a year, or or do you lock out a, a block of time and go in and from beginning to end that's your record? Yeah, that's that's the way I do it. I, I make sure I've got all my ducks in a row, all my demos are done. You know, so uh, when we go in, we record the album in you know three weeks, and it's done and dusted. You've really sequenced it beautifully too. Like I said, you know the way it starts, the way it goes in the middle. That you spend a lot of time doing that kind of thing, working out the running order, etc. Yeah, I do. I think I think that's as important as uh, as anything when it comes to recording an album. Um, you know, and and often you'll hear an album and go, "What a shame that that really doesn't fit there." You know, mm. um, when you, when you listen to the tracks, but um, I do put a lot of time into that, and I think that's um, that makes a huge difference when people listen to 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 the to the whole album. And Becky Cole, of course, your old friend, uh, <laughs> reappears. She she of course wrote um, better with time. And it's it's Becky, Darren, and Felicity again with you. Yeah, that's right. And that that was a bit of an odd one out um, because we were going to go back on tour together, and we will again. Uh, we we started out as the young stars of country, which was uh, now now Becky Cole calls us the old farts of country, and uh, we we had this big reunion tour, and we, we had a whole bunch of dates planned uh, for for again this year, um, which will be. I guess tied back to 2021 now, but um, uh, and so when Becky wrote that song and said, "How great would it be for us to have a song uh, together that we could, you know, put, get out on radio and, and it'd be a great way to advertise the tour and so to speak." And so uh, yeah, that was a bit of a last minute thing that, but so so nice to to sing again and record with those guys. I love them. 
So what's next for you? You've got the road is sort of coming up in 2021. Um, in between now and then, will you be doing more writing? Do you like to work like uh, a fair whack of time out before you make a record? Are you thinking about the next one already? Yeah, I. to be honest, um, I, I get a lot of ideas when I'm out touring, when I'm on the road. Um, and so what I do is I, I, I write them down or I sing them into my phone, uh, you know, ring myself and sing it into my message bank on my mobile phone or something. And, and then when I finish a tour, I, I find I have all these ideas on scraps of paper or recorded on my phone. It might be one line or a, a song about a place or whatever. Um, and then I sit down and, and go through all those ideas. Um, and most of the time I think, God, what was I drinking when I thought that was a good idea for a song <laughs> and throw them away? They, they make the scrap heap. But every now and then you'll come across one and think, yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. That could turn into a song. And uh, and that's the way it works for me. I get the ideas while I'm on tour. I don't ever write the songs while I'm on tour. I wait until I'm back home again. I'm in my home in my little comfort zone and, and sit and write the songs. And are you one of these guys that kind of says, okay, Monday morning, I'm getting up, I'm hitting my home studio, going to get the guitar out? Or, 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 do you, or do you wait for that little magic spark to go off in your brain that says, this is the right time for it? Yeah, that's that's me. Um, Graham Connors, he amazes me. He, he, he says, I am a songwriter, that is my job, and he gets up every single morning, makes himself a cup of coffee, and sits down and writes a song. And I don't know how he does that, but I could not possibly do that. It's sort of when the idea hits... Then you know I quickly scribble it down. That's it's a bit spontaneous for me. Well, it's interesting. I remember Noel Gallagher from Oasis said that he wrote a lot of his songs in the morning when he woke up. Mm. It's like your brain's just really. Uh, it's not like you mentioned about the freedom of travelling. It's not thinking about did I pay my tax bill? <laughs> did I <laughs> ever got to get whatever jobs we might have for the day? It's just open to these ideas. Yeah, um, there's a, there's an amazing book. Um, it's called Big Magic. And um, it's by a lady called Elizabeth Gilbert, and she wrote a book called Eat, Pray, Love, which was turned into this amazing movie. Uh, but it's it's an incredible book, and she talks about her opinion on ha- how ideas come about. And um, and she says that many many years ago, um, people who came up with a really good idea. Other people said to them, you were visited by a genius, like a genie. A genie gave you that idea. And then in the French Renaissance, that changed. And someone that had a good idea, they weren't visited by a genie or a genius. People said, you are a genius. And she said, human beings can't handle that sort of pressure. And she said, that's why, you know, artists turn to drugs and booze and cut off their ears, like you know, and crazy stuff, because the pressure that's put on someone when you say, you are a genius, all of a sudden to keep coming up with these ideas. And if you don't, you feel like you're a failure. And her whole book is all about ideas are just floating around in the wind, you know, and, and every now and then one will strike you if you're lucky. Um, and she said, all you've got to do is keep the old antenna up and keep be alert. And, and it's a really, really incredible concept. And I, and I think she might be onto something, you know. I think, I think that that's, uh, it could be the way it all works. It's very interesting you say that because Keith Richards was asked a while ago about his songwriting process and he said it's literally a case of keeping his antenna up. Yeah, well, there you go. Just, just wait, as, as you're saying, waiting for that visitation, whatever it might be. Mm. There's a great book out there too called um, The War of Art, which is a play okay. on the art of war. And it's just yeah. how... You know, a lot of artists do tend to put roadblocks in the way when they're trying to do work. 
they come up with all these reasons not to sit down and do the work. Yes, that's, and that's, uh, that's Tom T. Hall, one of my heroes. Um, Tom T. Hall once said that the most creative thing songwriters do is come up with reasons why they can't write, why they haven't got time to write songs. <laughs> um, but one of the great things about co-writing with other people is you become responsible and you, you book a time, you book a date, and then, you know, you've got to show up and write. And, yeah. and that sort of, it eliminates the old excuses. Oh, I've got to back the floor or oh, I've got to do some washing or, you know, that, that goes out the window when you've, you've got a date booked with, a, with another writer. And I guess the great thing about the co-writers too, it's not 100% Adam Harvey, it's not 100% the other person, it's something unique that only the two of you could come up with. You couldn't create it individually, it's, a, it's that marriage of two different spirits coming together. Mm, very, very true. And I must admit, I've never, ever come away from a, from a co-write and not learnt something new. And when you work with other um, people, you know, like really talented songwriters, it's, you, you just learn so much from them. And, uh, you know, I always really enjoy the, the process. Let me ask you about a song you wrote yourself on the record, Take Me Back. How did that oh, come yeah. about? Yeah, I, um, I went down and saw Mum, spent some time with Mum, and, um, and she was cleaning out a cupboard and we went through all these old photos, photo albums, and there was all these shots of, of uh, myself and my sister and that when we were kids. And, and uh, you know, I started to, to reminisce about those, those great old days when, you know, you had to be home when the street lights went on and there was just so much freedom and, and we just spent, spent our days out riding our BMXs with all the local kids or skateboards or football and, and, and that sort of freedom. It's gone now, you know. I mean, yeah. parents are frightened to let their kids play in the front yard, you know, because the yeah. you know the world's gone pretty crazy. And uh, and it was yeah back before the internet. And I just thought it's such a shame that we can't can't go back to to when things were a bit simpler. And and in my opinion, you know, life was a lot more uh, innocent and and I think a lot better. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You we know it was better. I mean, I'm in a situation now, my kid goes in the front yard, I say, is somebody looking at her? Is somebody mm -hmm. there? Yeah. Whereas, you know, when we were children, it was like, get home before dark. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's hard to fathom now, isn't it? It is. And uh, even, you know, when you break a, break a leg or, you know, break your wrist or, you know, fall over and take all the skin off your off your knees or whatever and, and mum, mum would say, oh, you'll be right, you know, <laughs> off you go, you'll be fine. You know, so it's it's a whole different world now and I think... I think we've lost something, you know, even though we've gained so much with technology, we've actually lost a lot more than we've gained, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. And with that song, it does give you this beautiful evocative image of what life was like. But I guess that's the thing. We can't go back, can we? No, you can never go back. That's exactly right. And uh, who knows where it's all going to end up. Um, but, you know, you, you're a parent too, like I am. I mean, my kids are, are yeah. a bit older than yours, obviously, but, um, but you do worry about where it's all going to end up, you know, when they're, when they're parents, hopefully, when mm. they're parents or when they're grandparents. I mean, who knows what the world's going to look like then? Well, Adam, you know, this record you've made, it's, it's such a beautiful, like I said, evocative, there's nostalgia, but there's also this kind of adrenaline rush of being out there and freedom and, you know, like I love the way you bookended it with Highway Number 1 and then, of course, at the end with Bandits on the Run. You've really done a really beautiful job. Congratulations. Oh, mate, that, that really means a lot. Thank you very much. And, um, sometimes, as an artist, you doubt yourself and think, "Gee, I hope people are going to like this." Have I, you know, have I come up with something half decent? But uh, that's really lovely of you to say that. And now the fun starts. I just can't wait to release the album and then actually get out on the road and, and play live again. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. 
thanks, mate. Really appreciate the chat. Good on you. Uh, big thanks to Adam Harvey, who was our special guest on Sony Music Presents Time to Talk this week. I'm your host, Sean Sennett. Please uh, check out Adam's new album, Songs from Highway 1. Really great record. And go to his uh, website, too, to check out his tour dates that are coming up. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, the people at Sony Music for organising the chat with Adam today. Jason Milhouse at Recordworks Studio for the uh, post-production. And we'll see you back here again very soon. Mm-hmm.